Welcome, I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And this is Talking Tachlis. Uri, what's, what's Tachlis? Rifki, that's a great question. Thank you. Tachlis, or Tachlit, is the <laughs> Hebrew slash Yiddish word for the bottom line. And that's what we're going to try to get at here in this podcast. What's the bottom line? We're going to talk about people. We're going to talk about places. We're going to talk about fingers. We're going to talk about faces. We're going to talk about things pertaining to you and you and you and you and you. You too, not you, but you and you. All right, sounds good. I'm excited. Okay, well, let's get into it. Okay, let's try the first one. Two thought-provoking and controversial articles were published in the last few weeks. In the Times of Israel, Eitan Gross, a staunchly modern Orthodox high school senior, published a blistering attack on the education system from which he's about to graduate. He argues that, and I quote, Modern Orthodox teenagers can tell you who Kobe, Jay-Z, or even Shakespeare is. Even Shakespeare like that. Mm. But very few will know Rav Chaim Kanievsky or Rav Herschel Schechter. will know how to solve complex math equations, but wouldn't be able to read a simple Mishnah. We care about world values and neglect our own. We care more about Western morals than the true morals of the Torah. Andrew Altman is a self-described yeshivish high school senior who attends City College High School, a magnet school in Baltimore. Writing in the forward, Andrew has only positive things to say about his academic experience, saying, quote, Being the only yeshiva student at City resulted in many interesting situations. However, if my faith is firm, then it should be able to withstand any challenging questions. If the Torah is true, then I should be able to examine, define, and defend it. Ironically, by attending public school and having all these interactions, I now own my Judaism and my relationship with my Creator. My religious convictions are no longer being enforced or imposed by rabbis in gray beards, dark suits, and black fedoras. Very harsh line. Though coming from two perspectives, the arguments seem to work in tandem. Eitan says the modern Orthodox landscape is doomed, with kids groomed to play basketball and earn money, rather than be Ovdei Hashem. Andrew says that being in public school gave him the confidence to really embrace his beliefs, rather than just obediently following his rebbies. Is there any truth to these statements? Are these just two arrogant 17-year-olds deciding that they understand the right way to educate the future of Orthodoxy? Somewhere in between? What do you think, Uri? Well, I'll start by saying that I, I was very impressed by both articles. Um, I thought both of these boys were very um, thoughtful and got their point across in a very interesting way. And they Brave. Yeah, very brave, definitely. Um, but Tachlis, um, I thought the Eitan Gross article uh, was pretty much just saying, we can be better. We're doing a good job, but our education system can be better. And I think it's very hard. It seems very hard to disagree with that. And I was actually very surprised by the amount of pushback that I saw um, online to this article. And he, he says, uh, you know, we don't know who Chaim Kanievsky and Rav, Rav Schechter are. And people were criticizing, like, oh, if you're modern Orthodox, why are you saying Rav Kanievsky? He's not modern Orthodox. And I think that's so silly because obviously he didn't, I don't think that he meant him specifically. He meant rabbis or whatever important figures in Judaism. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very hard to disagree with somebody saying we can be better, we can be closer to our ideals, both our secular ideals think, and our religious ideals. I don't think Eitan was saying we can be better. I, I think he was worse than that. I think he was saying this is broken. This is an absolute disaster. This this place is a mess. I think you're looking at it optimistically, which is, I, I think it's okay, a so good thing. Okay, so he's saying but it's broken he... and therefore what? He want. Does he, he, I mean, I assume he wants, he doesn't want, he doesn't regret going to Yeshiva High School. I think he's saying we can make Yeshiva High School better. It seemed to me that the implication he was making is that we need to make Yeshiva High School or modern Orthodox Yeshiva mm -hmm. High School better by cutting out 
the secular influences in school. It's a mm-hmm. problem that we know so much about basketball players or musicians. I think he was saying that right. stuff is a distraction, and instead, it is is it is it is it's a travesty that they do not like the fact that we can't read a simple Mishnah is 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 critical. Right. So I think what was a little bit unclear in his message, and maybe we interpreted it slightly different ways, is he saying we I interpreted it as we need to build up and enforce the Jewish values. And you're saying you read it more as we need to tone down the secular and cultural influences here. Obviously, it could be a little bit of both. Right, I imagine somewhere in between. But or those both. are very different types of uh, endeavors. Even that's how he says the sentences, right? We care about world values and neglect our own. We, they know who Kobe, Jay-Z, and even Shakespeare is, but right. very few know Rav Okay, Kanievsky. so obviously he wants us to know Rav Kanievsky and Rav Schechter, or whoever the stand-ins right. for those would be. But... In the first part of all of those He's statements, we shouldn't know. is there a value <laughs> judgment there of should we or should we not? Or he's just right. saying, meaning he presented as this is just what we know. Right. But I'm asking, what was he, was he saying? We shouldn't be so familiar with who Kobe is and, right. and that kind of thing. Well, and let's jump over to the to the other article. You know, I thought that the Andrew Altman article also very interesting, very brave because he was saying something a lot more off the beaten path. Absolutely, especially coming from a yeshivish. Uh, community or background as opposed to the Eitan Gross. So right off the bat, anything he says that's going to be slightly you know, different is going to be more controversial coming from where he's coming from. Um, but I thought I had a problem with it. I don't, I think he was building somewhat of a straw person. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to come and say I don't believe him when he says that this is working for him and everything's great. If he says that, I'll take him at his word for it. But I do know that thinking back to my own yeshiva high school experience, which for me was very positive, and I, you know, obviously going along Eitan Gross lines, it could have been better for sure. But I did, I did learn a lot, and I did gain a lot, and it was a very positive experience for me. I don't, I can't imagine going to public school and coming out with as strong of a Jewish identity. Uh, and a Jewish background as I did coming out of Yeshiva High School. I don't know how that kind of kid, unless you have so much, you know, I don't know what, moxie, uh, to be able to have that confidence. Well, it's a combination, right? I'm sure there definitely is some moxie there. Great (laughs) word. But I think it's also, I mean, he grew up in the Yeshivish community. He still has a lot of friends there. That's still where he is. He spends a full Shabbat, you know, in a different social situation entirely. So he might not have the same FOMO on Friday night because he's with his friends, his other friends. Well, I wonder, what if if his friends are having a party on Friday night or Saturday? What if it's nearby, walking distance? It's a good question. Where does he draw that line? I feel like reading that article, I, I was almost wavering. I was going back and forth between feeling that same thing of like, oh, I don't know if I could have done this in high school, but also thinking, but if I had been tested that way, if I had that high school, because you're right, there are temptations, as Eitan Gross, you know, says also, there are temptations, and too often we are tempted to fall, you know, into the the thing that's easier. It's more fun to go to a Jay Z concert than to go to Mishmar. Um, but at the same time, if you're in public school, you're being forced to think critically and to make choices. And when you can emerge with the conviction that Andrew Altman clearly comes out with, it is so much stronger than the conviction of someone who kind of just coasted through. You know, we, I went to Frisch and I, I coasted through. I don't, I don't think I walked out anywhere near with either the sort of conviction that Andrew Altman clearly has or with the 
answers to some of these fundamental questions that he was clearly, you know, approaching. Right. He was the only Jew these people know. So when they ask him either philosophical questions or they ask him practical questions, he has to be able to answer things. I right. don't think I would have been so, able to answer so these things. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And something that he talked about a lot that he stressed, as you're saying, was the, you know, encountering all kinds of different right. people from different backgrounds, different religions, um, different philosophies. And I do see a value. That's a very American value, but I share that value. Um, what I was thinking when I was reading the article was, I don't know, maybe there's a way to incorporate some of that into a yeshiva education. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could, you could have a, a yeshivish or a modern Orthodox high school, but there could be some extracurricular activities where you're interacting with a public school, with other private schools that aren't Jewish. I could see value in that, and I can see that as a potential solution of having some of those elements of meeting other kinds of kids and even building friendships and relationships with them without being I don't know. I feel cynical because I think it doesn't seem like you can really get to a depth of a relationship with just some sort of extracurriculars. And if you yeah. could, then you're going to get the well, challenges. Okay, so meaning then, with depth comes right. the possibility of someone saying, hey, I, I have a real friendship and now I want to go to that party. I, I have a real friendship right. and now I don't feel as convinced by Judaism because these people are clearly good moral people and they're not from at all. So I, I'm and not the, sure. And the flip side to that is somebody coming and saying, I don't think you can really get a Jewish education being in public school and then having a chavrusa you know, a couple of days a week after school or on Shabbos, that's not going to give you the the foundational. Well, that's a different that conversation. Need. Then it's a conversation it's about the flip, skills the versus the, the philosophy, right? Like he's walking. I'm out. talking about the skills or the philosophy, right. both. All right, and now what's topic number two? Well, topic number two is a little bit meta, which obviously I love. Um, but I wanted to talk about social media, specifically the concept of oversharing. How much is too much? No such thing. In my mind, this kind of falls into two categories, maybe more. But you know, when, when I look at my Facebook feed, I see people posting very political, divisive kind of opinions about issues. And on the other side, you have people posting very personal things about themselves, whether they're going through depression or an eating disorder or a divorce or infertility and things like that. Um, also positive things, right? People talking about how in love they are with or their Or what fiance. they had for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of rubbed the wrong way when I see people posting such personal things. At the same time, I see the value in it, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, talking about things that are taboo, but are also very important for mental health and for communal health that uh, people are scared to talk about by having people normalize that conversation and put it out in the open, I definitely understand the argument that will, would say that this is going to help a lot of people who are going through similar things, both in terms of feeling more comfortable with their situation and also having solutions to problems that they wouldn't otherwise have. I, I see some of these uh, po political posts that wind up having 150, 200 comments within a matter of hours, like, 
don't people have like don't people have jobs do people like what are are they just sitting at their computer on this like and how do they see that as a productive use of their time i mean that's sort of how i think about it sometimes at the same time i'm the one reading it right. and benefiting from these conversations there's that xkcd <laughs> comic i think it's xkcd where this you see it's like three o'clock four o'clock and someone screams like what are you doing go to bed and he's like i can't there's something wrong on the internet <laughs> yeah i i mean i think we can all relate to that mm-hmm. to that kind of thinking and you know just to throw one more wrench into it you know it, it's hard to draw the line sometimes between sharing your own personal uh information and sharing other people's personal information for example i've been at events i'm specifically thinking of uh, i was at an event on Purim when things are a little bit, you know, crazy. <laughs> and somebody was live streaming a party and I saw the video afterwards and I was in it and I didn't really like the way I looked or I didn't want myself, you know, publicly presented to the right. world in that way. And I wasn't asked permission right. uh, if that could be posted, but that, because that was that person's live stream, not mine. I just happened to be in it. Like, what are my rights in that situation? How do you, you read the Dave Eggers book, the circle? Yes. <laughs> nightmares for weeks very very powerful book i didn't see the movie though i didn't see it either it looked interesting eh, the book not. was so good but it freaked me out so much that i don't think i would want to see the movie yeah i mean i don't want to talk too much about the book if people haven't read it yeah. but it, recommended it, though it felt very sci-fi and crazy but when you really think about it, it it seems to be where we're heading just this world where everything is in the yeah. cloud and public and they, they have politicians who wear cameras so every single one of their meetings right. is publicized and once the in the fir- book in the book yes yeah. and once the first politician does that everyone else who isn't doing it it's like what do you have to hide? what are they hiding mm-hmm. exactly and that's how our brains now work and to, i'm scared by it and yeah. we're putting this podcast out there and i don't know what <laughs> what people are going to think about it yeah. but you know we're sort of maybe part of the problem yeah. but what do you think it's interesting i was thinking specifically about the first thing you said about the um people posting constant sort of like strong political arguments and this sort of being you and i were speaking informally last week just a stomp conversation and we were talking about last week last week was the anniversary of the balfour declaration and i i, I told you at the time that i felt like there's something wrong with me that I don't have a strong opinion mm-hmm. about the Balfour Declaration. I don't think that I'm sort of uh, educationally equipped enough to make an argument, but I also feel like we're living in this time where everyone has to have opinions. And if you don't have an opinion, then it's like, what, are you not thinking? Like, right. what are you doing? Uh, right. I also find it very funny, uh, exactly kind of what, what I think you're saying is, you know, it's always been the case when, when a big event happens in the news you know, the president and, and other public figures are expected to make a statement. And now when you look at your Facebook feed, it's almost like every single person is expected to right. make their own statement right. about what they feel about the situation. And, you know, sometimes it's heartfelt and it's and it's real. But at the, at the same time, sometimes it's it feels a little silly. I've heard people, you know, obviously criticize the over the, criticizing the over curated uh, social right. media accounts. And I guess kind of towards the extreme of that attitude is I've heard people say like what you when you post something you can never take it down no matter even if it's embarrassing to you because that's your that's your persona that's your online thing and by taking it down and and editing your your social media you're part of the problem mm-hmm. and like that mentality I sort of understand it but it's it's kind of weird and, and what also what concerns me in, in this whole issue is like especially when you, you know we talked about in the previous segment about these high school kids who are writing these articles you know, I mean, they're young and, and they have ideas and they have strong ideas and they're writing about it. What if in two, three years they no longer agree with those ideas? 
it's out there. They can't take it back, and it's attached to their name. And th- that's a pretty heavy thing to, to have on your shoulders. So Rifki Tachlis, what do you have to say about the social media discussion? I mean, I think it's an ongoing conversation as it is social media. The landscape is changing every year, every two years. There are new social medias. People are using it different ways. The the major conversation that I've been having recently and reading about recently is advertising and how we are the product and, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how we're being we we think that we're consumers, but really we are the ones being consumed. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a lot to think about there as well. Um, But I think I think it's a really interesting conversation and I'm definitely uneasy about it. And yet an avid consumer. Are you recording me? Oh. I can't hear the snare. Count me in. Twitter. Where do I go when I don't have a friend? Where do I go at another's day's end? Nobody loves me. Somebody loves me on Twitter. I think I'm a big, big loser. Then I go to my computer, turn it on, and I feel grand all because of Twitter. All right, and that wraps up our first episode of Talking Talkless. Thank you, Uri. Thank you, Rifki. That was a lot of fun. Uh, We'll see if we actually decide to post this. And if we do, hopefully we'll get better in the future. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Should we get like an email address? Yeah, like I was thinking feedback? we should start a Gmail. Yeah, okay. talking talk. We'd love to hear feedback. If you guys listen and you hate it, you love it, you want to hear more of something, you want to hear less of something, um, email us at talkingtachlispodcast at gmail.com. Tachlis is spelled with a C-H. Well, they can see it. Okay, logo. fine. So don't use that. <laughs> <No. All right. laughs> Bye. <laughs>